on the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. Well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the uh, Red Raiders Podcast brought to you each week by the Avalanche Journal Sports Department. I'm Don Williams, AJ Media, Texas Tech football beat writer. Joined as always by Carlos Silva Jr., AJ Media sports editor. We are a couple days out from Texas Tech in West Virginia, teeing it up. 4.30 p.m. start time at Jones AT&T Stadium on Saturday. An unusual start time and a little bit of unusual circumstances because the Red Raiders changing quarterbacks. Matt Wells with the announcement last week that Texas Tech would bench Alan Bowman in favor of Henry Columbia. So it will be Henry Columbia's first college start on Saturday against West Virginia. And Carlos, uh, not necessarily the easiest assignment for Henry Columbia because that first college start for him will come against a team that is um, leading the Big 12 in rush defense, leading the Big 12 in pass defense, leading the Big 12 in sacks, and uh, top 10 in the FBS in all three of those categories. Now we can uh, debate whether the Mountaineers are paper tigers since they uh, haven't faced up a murderer's row yet are really even a lot of good teams, but um, nevertheless, uh, kind of a kind of a uh, challenging first start for Henry Columbia. How much are you looking forward to it? I'm looking forward to it because, as I told you when we were texting or you're watching the game, again, Alan Bowman, fabulous quarterback, very accurate, just hasn't had his kind of fair shake, so to speak, due to injury or what have you. But certainly, when Henry Columbia has been on the field. The offense just looks better. I mean, I mean, again, I'm I'm not an expert like you or maybe some other football coaches, but the one thing I've seen is there's an extra dynamic that Henry Columbia brings, and that's with his legs. And the other thing that I've noticed too is sometimes he will go down his progressions a little bit better, or maybe not make a quick decision as maybe Alan Bowman has, where you see him throw the ball a little bit quicker than maybe he normally would. And again. This could potentially be a question for Allen if we are able to speak to him later in this football season, but maybe the injury bug is maybe catching up with him or maybe he's thinking a little bit more about it. You know, maybe he's thinking, well, if I get hit, maybe this is my last play and maybe it's making him rush a little bit more or whatever else, but however you want to take it. Uh, the one thing I will agree with you, Don, is that uh, West Virginia has not played a murderer's row in terms of opponents. He's took Kentucky, obviously, on there, uh, Oklahoma State, they did lose to. Then you got Baylor. They got a big overtime win against them. Then, of course, you had Kansas. That was the big win against uh, the Jayhawks. And now you got Texas Tech. So, yes, you can look at the statistics as to how good they are. Yes, they are. The one thing that uh, may help Texas Tech fans is they look into the numbers if you really are going to be that stat geek is that Texas Tech has – been very good about keeping their quarterback upright most of the season so certainly that's one good thing and another thing that will help this uh, offensive line maybe good or bad is when you have a mobile quarterback that can run around when the defensive line which everyone well knows the stills brothers will keep them busy but i think with henry columbian is uh 
extra added uh, dual threat ability, which we saw a little bit against Iowa State where they had the two-point conversion and they were able to convert it because Henry Columbia is now another player you have to account for. I think that's something that West Virginia will have to look at. And with a couple weeks now with the bye week and this week uh, upcoming as we record this on Wednesday, Texas Tech has plenty of time to prepare Henry Columbia to be that starting quarterback now. Yeah, um, a couple of thoughts. Back on Bowman for just a moment. Feel free. And it was uh, – you, you touched on something that, that a lot of folks have speculated about, that Allen, that Allen uh, his injuries, his injury history plays into this. When we asked Matt Wells about that a week or so ago, he said that he, he said pretty strongly that he doesn't think Allen is thinking about his past injuries or thinking about getting hit again or that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And in Allen's defense, you know, he threw for 400-plus yards against Houston Baptist. The rub in that game was those two deep throws that he missed to yeah, TJ. Uh, Dalton Rigdon. No, Dalton Rigdon. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Dalton Rigdon, Keyshawn Carter could have been – could have been deep ball touchdowns. He missed those through throws, and you know, and, and then he threw five touchdown passes against Texas, and 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 looked uh, really sharp uh, both in the that very first series and and in other stages of that game. But he had you know a couple of bad interceptions in that game. Um, but the wheels just fell off against Iowa State. Now is that uh, uh, a criminal offense? I don't know. Not many Tech quarterbacks have looked good. No, no Tech quarterbacks have looked good against Iowa State uh, since Matt Campbell went there. In fact, I looked it up uh, last week. Uh, the last four games before uh, this past Iowa State game, Tech quarterbacks mm-hmm. have thrown six interceptions and three touchdown passes. One of those guys was Pat Mahomes. Yeah, there's 10, 10 points against those guys. So it's not. Uh, so Allen just kind of continued to trend that Tech quarterbacks struggle against Iowa State. But, you know, as Matt Wells indicated, uh, one of the reasons for benching him was they thought he was going through his progressions too fast and being too quick and too willing to take just the check down to the running back. was playing tentative in that regard. So we'll see if Henry Columbia uh, – and Columbia has appeared, you know, more decisive, more confident, uh, more willing to cut it loose, as they say. And um, – and and run when when it made sense to run. Go get eight or ten yards. Um, this this week is a little bit uh, this week's a little bit unusual in the fact that uh, Texas Tech had the open date last week, whereas West Virginia played last week. There's mm-hmm. a lot of instances it seems like when when the Big Twelve schedule makers will have teams who face each other have the both be all. Both have an open date the previous week, so neither team has an edge. It'll be interesting to see if, if there is an edge, um, for either side since the Red Rangers were able to kind of start prep for West Virginia late last week, and while whereas West Virginia was uh, all focused in on Kansas, um, as much as you can be focused in on Kansas. Yeah, well, still, still had to be, and and apparently were because they. Uh, Correct. Yeah. Took care of business against the. Although Jays. it was close, I mean, g- g- give uh, give the old Jayhawks credit. It was close, and then all of a sudden, uh, we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit more. Letty Brown, who was uh, just really running running well, along with uh, some of his teammates as well, who were named Big Twelve Players of the Week. But 
he's certainly a guy that will be mentioned uh, later on in this. But 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 I think uh, just in terms of the bye week, Don, I know getting the quarterback situation figured out was certainly one important thing. Uh, the other question that you had brought up to Matt Wells last week, speaking of his press conference, was that H, uh, H wide receiver position. I know that was something that you had mentioned earlier this year. It seemed like it was stacked, and then all of a sudden now uh, a couple injuries, obviously COVID situation too, and now it seems like uh, it's kind of in flux right now. Well, you know, um, as you said, Early in the year, you thought there's too many guys at that position because yeah. you, had, you had Dalton Rigdon returning starter, Keyshawn Carter kind of emerging, um, Miles Price, talented freshman, mm-hmm. and uh, you had Xavier Xavier White was uh, the position was so deep that they it freed you up to move Xavier White to running back and then and of course McClay Mannix and McClay Mannix, veteran receiver mm-hmm. coming back. So you had so many guys there, it looked like you had too many guys in one spot. And then they end that Iowa State game with, you know, Keyshawn Carter didn't play because of an elbow injury. Yep. Um, McLean Mannix did not play because of some, uh, some, a back issue they was dealing with. And then Dalton Rigdon took the helmet-to-helmet hit uh, that Aishim Young was ejected for targeting mm-hmm. and was in, did not return to that game. It was in concussion protocol. And so all of a sudden he finished that game with, with – uh, Miles Price, the true freshman, and Caden Leggett, who's not even an outside, not even normally an inside receiver. He's been an outside receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, but it looks like they'll have a solid two deep this week because um, Matt Wells said Dalton Rickton is back from concu- back from concussion protocol. Thinks he should be available this week, so that would give you Dalton Rickton, Miles Price that spot. I did ask Matt if. Uh, you, you know, if you continue to have injury issues there, do you consider moving Xavier White back since that's kind of his normal position, the one that mm-hmm. he started at? He said no, no, which I thought was interesting uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because Xavier White's been kind of a proven established receiver, but I think the, mm-hmm. I think the other thing it tells me is uh, they really like what they see of Xavier White at running back and uh, want to keep him doing what he's been doing. Uh, what he did in that Kansas State game. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is like like you said, Don, and kind of like I mentioned, but, I mean, you've got a bunch of depth. It's just you've just had all these crazy injuries and this crazy season that obviously it depleted a little bit. But I think on normal circumstances, I think the whole reason that you were able to move Xavier White to a position, as I mentioned before, is coaching stuff is smart enough. If you've got playmakers, which Xavier White is a playmaker, they will find a spot for him. And I think they found one right behind Sir Roger Thompson. And I think uh, the whole reason they were able to have that luxury was because of all the guys you mentioned at the H wide receiver position to where they could move a guy where they felt could play and could make some plays in the backfield. And then that's a, and then again, that is without Todd Brooks and of course, uh, Mr. Townsend as well, uh, before they can start doing kind of what, what they need to do as well. And speaking of Townsend, he was a former wide receiver at Alabama before he transferred to, to Texas Tech as well. So, again, you have a lot of versatility, and I think that's something that uh, we had talked about early on in the season where Matt Wells, I know the term was cross-train. I'm sure there are plenty of guys that are able to play different positions. As you mentioned, Caden Leggett went outside to inside. I know that was something that happened last year with a couple guys, I believe, uh, trying to remember uh, Keyshawn Carter was a guy that went outside to inside last year. So I'm sure they've got 
plenty of guys that can do it, and certainly it probably wouldn't put you in a in probably the most ideal situation, but I think they'll be fine at wide receiver because it seems like they've got a lot of playmakers there. I think the big thing for Texas Tech going into this game is can you control that line of scrimmage against that West Virginia defensive line, which is something they weren't able to do against Iowa State and Kansas State. I thought that was the difference for both of those games where you controlled it a little bit better against Kansas State. Iowa State, you just got blown out, and I think that was uh, very evident uh, as Iowa State and Brees Hall Speaking of uh, running backs, he was able to run all over him. Of course, Deuce Vaughn uh, got a couple runs late that helped his statistics, but I think that was the big thing, Don, is can your offensive line and your defensive line, can you control Can you control the trenches, so to speak, because I really feel that is where this game will be won and lost because if you're able to control the trenches, that means Henry Columbia will have time to, to throw the ball and make his progressions. It means Sir Roderick Tomlinson will finally get back on track after his two 100-yard games. And then you're able to obviously get uh, more of your wide receivers involved. But I don't know if, if there's something else you wanted to mention uh, other than well, that. Let's, in terms let's, of, break, let's break down West, West Virginia a little bit. Some of the personnel yeah. you, you're talking about, who's, who's, who do they have to control? I mean, this is a, a team that right now has 37 tackles for losses in four games, yeah. 16 sacks. And, They're really good. Uh, everybody, I think everybody around the Big 12 by this point knows about the Stills brothers, Darius yeah. Stills, 10 and a half career sacks, and Dante Stills. 10 career sacks, but it's it's more than those two guys because this year they have a true freshman from Canada named Akeem Mesador who has mm-hmm. uh, who has four sacks and had a big game last week against Kansas. Uh, Jeffrey Pooler is a senior guy, whereas number nine, he has three sacks. Another uh, – and Darius Stills has two and a half. Jared Bartlett, number 50, has two and a half sacks so they're getting they're getting it from from a bunch of different players and they're getting good uh you know it's not just those guys tony fields the transfer linebacker from arizona mm-hmm. he's the guy that broke alan collar alan bowman's collarbone last year yep. he, leads, he leads their team with 35 tackles and neil brown said this week that tyke smith who's kind of their hybrid uh safety corner nickelback guy uh He's like the third highest rated defensive player in the Big 12 by Pro Football Focus. And Neil Brown the other day said that he's playing the, as good at his position. He's, uh, Neil Brown said he's, he's playing his position better than anybody in the country. That position, that kind of nickelback spot. He's a guy who's uh, one of their top recruits. And uh, last year was a freshman All American. This year he's a sophomore. He's just kind of continuing to do what he does. So it's, this seems to be a game where you can't just focus on on neutralizing and accounting for one or two guys. It seems to be a collectively a West Virginia defensive team defensively. Uh, you're getting contributions from a lot of, from a lot of people, a lot of spots. And that's fair. But like I said, I, I really feel like the one thing that's been missing from this Texas tech offense, which for lack of a better term, you can almost make a, a similar comparison to last year. They just didn't have that running attack. I mean, Jet Duffy was there last year. He was your leading rusher in several games. But I think this is what Texas Tech needs. They need a spark at quarterback. Can Henry Columbia be that extra guy that can run the football a little bit, maybe open things up for everyone else? I think that is going to be what uh, David Yost and Matt Wells try and figure out in this contest, Don, because, I mean, as, as much as Alan Bowman is great at the quarterback position when he's in the pocket, you do need that extra element. And I think that's hopefully what uh, Yost and Wells are looking to kind of figure out. And um, – if they are able to do that, I think there's going to be a lot of success for Texas Tech because I think uh, they, they've got plenty of guys that can make plays, just they, they haven't been able to get the ball and make plays the last couple of games, as we saw, especially against Iowa State, 
where, and if you want to make this comparison too, I know Iowa State has that cloud, cloud defense. West Virginia, speaking of defenses, they have a new defensive coordinator. They have co-defensive coordinator, so to speak, going into this contest. So it'll be interesting to see how Texas Tech is able to maybe get tape on them because they have seen previous games. But certainly that there are things that they do a lot different uh, from last year when uh, Vic Coning was uh, heading, that, heading that unit. Yeah. A couple, uh, couple more quick angles we'll, we'll touch on just briefly and then move sure. on to questions. Uh, mm-hmm. um, Jared Dougie starting quarterback for West Virginia. I thought it was interesting this week. as Neil Brown. Uh, uh, what, uh, if anything, do you remember? Of course, Neil Brown, Texas Tech offense coordinator, quarterback's coach from 2010 to 2012. Coach Seth Dougie asked him this week, uh, what do you remember about Jared Dougie from the time that Jared was 12, 13, 14 years old when you were here? I didn't. Uh, realized at the time that uh, uh, Jared actually had attended a whole bunch of Texas Tech football camps. And yep. not only Jared, but Michael Brewer's little brother, Charlie Brewer. And Neil Brown said that, yeah, when they were uh, – knew them well because when they were middle school campers with us, you know, they'd have – there's be an offensive session and a defensive session. And when the defensive session was going on, said I – and Kevin Kilmer, who is the GA, now is the OC at Angelo State. So we'd take yep. the quarterbacks, you know, Jarrett, Charlie Brewer, have, you know, one-on-one time with them to teach them, you know, kind of give them tips. <laughs> of course, West Virginia and Baylor just played each other a couple of weeks ago. And I, so that's kind of interesting. Two guys who were going to Texas Tech quarterback camps when they were 12, 13 years old and their big brothers are quarterbacks here. They've grown up to be starting Big 12 quarterbacks themselves. So, he got that angle. Seven, Jarrett Dagey starting for WVU in the stadium where his brother lit up WVU mm-hmm. eight years ago. And, uh, of course, then we have the old former Arizona linebackers angle. Graduate Arizona, uh, when, when the Pac-12 Pac- shut it down this year, it looked like they weren't going to have football. Colin Schooler then said, well, I want to play football. Yep. He is grad transfer portal, comes to Texas Tech, Tony Fields. Uh, hits the grad transfer portal, goes to West Virginia. And uh, last year, those two guys were one and two on a team in tackles. And now they are lining up against each other for two different teams on Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium. So, uh, again, a couple, couple, uh, couple of interesting angles there. You also have you know, former Texas Tackers. We haven't really talked about this, but uh, not only Neil Brown, but he's got a – Couple other former Texas Tech assistants on his staff: Matt Moore from the Mike Leach years, coaching the offensive line; Chad Scott from the Tommy Tuberville years, coaching the uh, uh, West Virginia running backs. It's funny how these teams are so far apart from Lubbock to Morgantown, West Virginia, but they've got so many connections because of Neil Brown and kind of all those things. But I, I think that's certainly an angle to kind of watch. But uh, I guess as we kind of wrap it up, done with that bye week and kind of all the other stuff. I guess for you, since you'll be able to be able to be live at this game, what are you going to be watching for in terms of Texas Tech and West Virginia that'll make you feel like Texas Tech is in a good way and uh, West Virginia's in a good way? I'll talk a little bit while you think about that. Because like well, I said, go ahead. I, know, I was going to say, I, I, to me, it's pretty simple. I, I think it is um, uh, when Texas Tech's offense is on the field can uh, – uh, Henry Columbia, given an extended opportunity right from the jump, can he continue to build on and do what he's been doing, playing state-free football and yeah. moving the offense? And I think that the big key, is, as we discussed earlier, is uh, 
Canatech's tech offensive line contain, control West Virginia's front seven? Because West Virginia's front seven, I, thought, I think, looks pretty legit. There's some legit players in there. Yes. And uh, they have to uh, give Henry Columbia time and, and open some holes for your, for your running backs that you know, didn't do that against Iowa State. So I think that's the uh, – I think that's the big key offensively and then defensively. Can uh, can you um, uh, keep Letty Brown from you know hold, hold him under 100 yards because he's been he's averaging averaging more than 100 and is as he for real this year? I think his progression is probably legitimate. You're talking a guy who played kind of part time as a freshman as a sophomore had about 300 400 yards each of those last two years and now this year. Given more of uh, given the opportunity to be the guy, 515 yards. That's already a career high rushing number for Levy Brown. Uh, so again, you know, I think his progression is legitimate. But uh, if you can hold him under 100, uh, you know, 75, 80 yards, something like that, then I think you give yourself a chance to uh, uh, get out of here with a with a, with a win, which you need. Once again, that's Don Williams. And then of course that game, as he mentioned before, will be at 4:30. On Saturday at Jones AT&T Stadium, you can catch that on ESPN2 if you're not able to go out and enjoy, uh, again, one of the other uh, little, I guess, I can't even think of the word right now, but just uh, homecoming is this week. And that's going to be an interesting uh, little factor because that's going to be virtual. So a lot of crazy things happening. But uh, speaking of crazy things, do you want to start off with questions or do you want me to go to the ones that I have at least on my screen right yeah, now? Yeah, let's go. Uh, let me start off here. Uh, go for it. AG the third or AG three asked some good questions. Is is Henry Columbia on a short leash? Uh, my uh, to that I would say I, I don't think he is on a short leash. I think he's going to get a legit, pretty long term look. I think they made that. I think Matt Wills has made that clear. I think in discussing this, the maybe the most telling thing that he said about Alan Bowman was okay, not blaming him. But and he said Alan will get another chance. I just don't know when that is, and so it's clear that uh, you know there's there's not a plan to play him. Someone one, uh, someone asked Matt Wells if there's any package with Alan Bowman. He said no, that's not the plan. So I think Henry Columbia is going to get an extended opportunity, a long look, a long leash, and I don't think there would be a change back unless Henry Columbia is just a disaster and does something like throw three or four interceptions or look completely. Flummoxed at this stage of his career, I don't think he should because uh, uh, while this is his first start as a college quarterback, he's it's going to be his 16th game as a college quarterback. He got into a lot of games when he was at Utah State, mm-hmm. 13, in fact. You know, when Jordan Love and the guys would light it up, I think they would. Uh, Paul Jordan Love and Henry Columbia got quite a few, quite a bit of action and in a lot of games at Utah State. So I think he's he's pretty, he's probably amped up, but, but he's not going to be a guy who's uh, – uh, that should not be a guy who's jittery or whatnot because, again, he's played a lot of college football. I also think uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that if you do get a transfer, Henry Columbia would probably be your number one target because he has played in the offense with the two guys that are at the head of the set offense. So I think that certainly helps him a little bit. Yes, the – the uh, the names and kind of all the other stuff is probably different, but I'm sure he knows everything else that needs to be done in this offense. So I think that'll certainly help. And I know David Yost mentioned the fact that 
he was able to deal with him during an off season helps as well. So I think uh, at least from the outside looking in, everything seems to be going in the best way possible for Henry Columbia to have some success on Saturday. Now, whether or not that happens, West Virginia and Texas Tech, the way they play, will play that all out. Uh, second question from AG the third is, do you think Coach Wells and Coach Yost deserve the criticism they receive, or is it fair to say this team just isn't as talented as we think? I think it's a, uh, I think it's probably a combination of those. Uh, when you know, Texas Tech's been in a, it's like documented um, in a situation where, okay, Matt Wells is 5-11, and 11, and in six of those 11 losses, the Red Raiders have led at the end of the third quarter or later, you know, you went, which is almost mind-boggling. I mean, in, 16, 16, in a span of 16 games, you have lost six times that you have led in the, at the end of the third quarter or later. That, that's hard to do. Um, and while this was the obviously a focus of the offseason was finishing games better uh, when he lost four of those by three points or less last year, that's continued to be an issue for the team this year, even more so with the way they lost the Texas game mm-hmm. and having control of the Kansas State game in the fourth quarter and losing it. And so I think it's fair to uh, fair to criticize the coaches over that. Um, is it uh, – although – this clearly is not a team. That, this is not a team that's probably as talented as Texas, and I would uh, argue that's not a team that's as talented as Iowa State at this point. Um, so they do need uh, probably time to up, continue to upgrade the talent, which I think they've made inroads in that with uh, some of the veteran players that they've added, and I think will make more uh, additions. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in a moment with with what they have. Uh, committed in the from the high school ranks at this point. Um, but yeah, and I think it's kind of curious. Uh, again, AG asked about Coach Wells and Coach Yost. Yeah. What's kind of puzzling to me is Tex Tex had these issues at quarterback now with uh, Alan Bowman not developing uh, as you would expect for a quarterback who played a lot as a freshman. Um, and it's, it's odd because David Yost's track record is uh, one quarterback after another, after another, after another, after another. He has sent to the NFL. You go back to the Missouri years, Brad Taylor, big-time, outstanding college quarterback, played in the NFL as a receiver and return man. Then Chase Daniel, long career in the NFL. Blaine Gabbert, long career in the NFL. James Franklin, long career in the CFL, led the CFL in rushing touchdowns as a quarterback year before last. Um, Jordan Love, first-round draft pick this year. He's a Utah State quarterback. Justin Herbert, first-round draft pick this year. David Yost had Justin Herbert as a freshman at Oregon. And Yost that year at Oregon had 17 touchdown passes and four interceptions. So, I mean – you're talking over a 20-year period. David Yost has had six core, six starting quarterbacks that have gone on to long professional careers, or in the case of Herbert and Love, you expect them to go on to long professional careers mm-hmm. as first-round draft picks. And so it's pretty clear from a 20-year track record that David Yost knows what he's doing coaching quarterbacks, and yet uh, – so it's kind of puzzling 
why are they uh, having so much so much uh, trouble uh, getting it getting it right on a weekend week out basis here at Texas Tech with the quarterbacks? Does David deserve criticism for that? Yeah, that's fair, I think. Um, but um, I, I think you know, I think they had a lot of faith in Alan Bowman based on what he had done before they got here, and a lot of expectation for him, and uh, he's just kind of hit this uh, uh, slump uh, in his career. Be that uh, by um, because of all the injury setbacks he's had, or mm-hmm. for other reasons. I think it's interesting that people bring this up because the other thing too is do you feel like maybe he didn't have that secondary guy to kind of push him to the way maybe Henry Columbia has to overtake it because as we all remember the old the only reason Jet Duffy got starting time last year was because Alan Bowman and some of the other guys that were in front of Duffy got hurt. So I think well, that's also something to take into account a little bit. Not not, not to say that David Yost is uh not to blame for some of this, or if, if you even want to use the term blame, but he certainly can be criticized for maybe the way that games are called, if you want to say that, the quarterback development. But I think the other thing, too, that you can look at is that maybe Alan Bowman uh, is, is probably Alan Bowman's greatest uh, competitor at this point up until Henry Columbia stepped onto campus. Yeah. And, you know, one other thing, and uh, I should have mentioned this a moment ago, but um, – uh, the loss of Antoine Wesley. Yeah. Uh, where, where would this? I mean, Antoine two years ago, eighty-eight catches, fourteen hundred yards, nine touchdowns. Came out of was, You know, six foot five, and could really run after the catch, and could really go go get the deep ball. You know, Alan, well off of TJ. You know, Alan, Alan didn't have to throw a perfect deep ball with Antoine Wesley was around because he, he could go. He could just go get it. Yeah, could could really adjust to the ball well in the air. Uh, where would you know? Where would Tech be right now? Where would the program be right now if if Antoine had not opted out early for the NFL? And he's, you know, nobody has uh, really nobody has come close to performing at the level that he performed at two years ago. And that uh, I think undoubtedly is another factor in why Alan Bowman has. Uh, not advanced at the rate that you would have expected him to. Yeah. Well, um, appreciate all those questions. I see. I got, I got a couple more here. These are kind sure. of these are kind of continuing on the same theme. From Brett sure. Logan asked, uh, with a one and three record overall, and zero and three in conferences, Matt Wells and his staff the right fit for Texas Tech, or do they just not have the right players to make the offense and defense work? And do they just need more time? I point out this, and I, I, it didn't, I didn't realize it until I kind of looked it up the other day. In, in, in the aftermath of Texas Tech and Iowa State, Matt Wells 5-11 now at Texas Tech. Matt Campbell, after 16 games at Iowa State, was 5-11. Yeah. And now um, around the Big 12, and I think around college football, Matt Campbell is uh, held in high regard. and uh, thank Also very good in play. October. <laughs> yeah, very, very good in October. People think he's a great coach. He certainly appears to be a great coach. But after 16 games at Iowa State, his record is exactly the same as what Matt Wills is right now at Texas Tech. So there's a time when uh, people in in Iowa are probably wondering, what it, can, can this Matt Campbell guy 
cut it, or since he came from uh, the Mid American Conference as a group mm-hmm. five coach, know what he's doing. Um, so um, I, I think it's probably too early to say. And I was also, you know, I was looking back at uh, you know North Carolina has really been making a surge under Mac Brown. So mm-hmm. uh, Mac Brown's at whatever he whatever age Mac is now. He's gone to North Carolina. They were three and nine and two and nine the two years before he went to UNC and then they went seven and six last year won a bowl game and they're three and one this year. Um but I went back and looked at, you know, young Mac Brown, the first time he in his first year in North Carolina first go around in North Carolina. You gotta go way back to the late eighties for this. But he took over a program that was in pretty good shape. Uh, the year before he took over there, five and six. The year before that, seven, four and one, five and six, five, five and one, eight and four, eight and four. Mm-hmm. So he took over a stable program and he goes one and ten and one and ten. And I, so I assume in the late nineteen eighty nine there are probably folks in Chapel Hill going, throw this Mac Brown guy out. After back-to-back one and ten seasons, they well, didn't. he also didn't have Twitter where everyone goes after you too. Yeah, he didn't have Twitter. They didn't, but he then he got up to six and four, and then seven and four, and then nine and three, and ten and three, and he went to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven bowl games, and there are six bowl games in a row. And uh, you know, there in the mid to late nineties, Mac was recruiting guys to you in North Carolina that were, uh, you know, a lot of NFL talent. Guys like Greg Ellis, the first-round draft pick of the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Dre Bly, who was a prolific defensive back. But, again, there was a time in year two when Mac, a young Mac Brown looked like he didn't know what he was doing at North Carolina. But <laughs> then everything clicked for him. So I, my, my point is I think it's too early to say whether Matt Wills is uh, uh, going to be successful at Texas Tech, whether he's the right fit at Texas Tech. People don't want to believe that, but they're, I've given you a couple of examples. There's plenty more. Um, and I think, but I think it comes back to uh, just what it comes back to all the time in college football. That's the ability to uh, be able to recruit. And that, so that'll tie me back into another question from AG3, which is mm-hmm. does Texas Tech land the running back Cameron Valdez this Saturday? Four star. It's pretty good. Cameron Valdez, uh, running back from Rockdale. I'll give mm-hmm. you the quick uh, lowdown on him. 5'10", 192. Looks to me, kind of reminds me a lot of, kind of reminds me of Xavier White, actually. He's ranked uh, number 32 prospect in the state by rifles, number 58 by 24-7. Last year, 1,522 yards rushing, 26 touchdowns. Through seven games this year, 906 yards rushing, 15 touchdowns. Pardon me, three star. That's my fault. He has um, uh, scholarship offers from 28 schools, 18 of them in the Power Five, and uh, six of them in the Big 12. So he will be, and he said he was planning to announce his decision on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, all indicate that uh, I don't have any specific insight, but the indications seem to be that Texas Tech is in a really good position with him and has a real good shot to land him if they do. Uh, looks like a, it would be a big-time commitment for the Red Raiders cause. Well, certainly, and, and I think uh, just kind of getting some some of these other guys in terms of their commitments has just been big for Matt Wells and company, and I think that's one thing 
and just to kind of tie it back to your previous point is I think minus the wait and see as to what happened with Cliff, I think maybe hurting Matt Wells a little bit because I think some of that patience has been taken away from some of the fan base that waited for Cliff, whereas maybe he was given a little bit more leash because he was a Texas Tech alum that everyone wanted to see do well. He was obviously a, a great uh, ambassador for Tech, so certainly didn't didn't hurt him in that sense. But I think the fact that Matt Wells is someone that is has no Texas Tech ties, obviously is a different guy, and now all of a sudden you you just compare him to certain other coaches that maybe had success at Texas Tech. But uh, I, I think the, the way that things are going right now, I think in terms of the recruiting, they're going about as well as they can. Cameron Valdez would certainly be an excellent uh, addition to Texas Tech. I, I think he could certainly add a different dynamic to the running back position, that being more of a pass catcher that can make plays in the backfield compared to Sir Thompson, who will obviously go north-south. But uh, I think in terms of what, what you're getting with uh, the commitments now that Texas Tech has, I think you're seeing a little bit of a pattern. You're trying to get some big, beefy offensive linemen to help you run the football a little bit more. Uh, you're trying to help yourself with the tight end position, which at some point I would think they're eventually going to start utilizing that. And then uh, obviously with some of the uh, wide receivers, you've seen that they've already gotten some playing time at Jalen Polk and Miles Price. So I think in terms of what they need, I think that's what this Texas Tech coaching staff has been able to do very well. Whether it's a three-star, a four-star, whatever you want to call it, I think the fit is what they're doing a little bit better, and they're finding guys that can work and play and maybe have certain tendencies that help their offense uh, work at an efficient rate. Yeah, and it's always interesting looking at the rivals rankings. A lot of people have uh, uh, pointed out Texas Tech's now Texas Tech recruiting class is now ranked number 86 by rivals, which is dreadful. But if you look at it by average rating of the, each individual player. You know, part, part of that number 86 rating is because Texas Tech doesn't have a lot of commitments. They have, I think, 10 guys listed on their commitment list. And so if you have schools that have 17 or 20 commitments at this point, almost by default, are going to be rated higher than Tech, which has 10 commitments. But if you look at it by um, the average star rating of the players, Texas Tech in, in that way ranks 32nd and actually ranks fourth in the Big 12. Uh, behind only, I think, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Texas, and West Virginia. Oklahoma, Texas, West Virginia, only Big 12 schools whose average rating per player is higher than Texas, Texas is right now. And so, you know, if you get a small class, you can still be, and Matt Wells has said this will be a small class, you can have a small class and still have a really impactful class. And there's no better example of that. At te- in Texas Tech's case, then they're in Texas Tech's 1998 class, uh, which they were facing sanctions at that point. So they had a small class because they didn't have, because of the, they were missing some scholarships. So Texas had 15 guys that year. You assign 15 guys, that's, that's not great. But one of those guys was Cliff Kingsbury, who was, became a prolific quarterback. Another one of those guys was uh, Aaron Hunt, defensive end, who set your career sacks record. And another one of those guys was Lawrence Flugents, middle linebacker, who set your career tackles record. And 
I believe, same class, also had Kevin Curtis, who was a two-time second-team All-America safety. So it was light on numbers, but it was enormous on impact. And I think that's what they're hoping for in this class. It's going to be small in numbers, but there's the potential here on paper to have a lot of impact. You have Jaron Brad, wide receiver from the Metroplex, 6'5 kid with uh, – who had huge numbers last year. You mentioned the tight ends, Carlos. Mason Tharp, a 6'8 guy from Klein. And Jed Castle, the 6'7 kind of flex receiver from Wichita Falls Rider. Those guys look really intriguing when you know how Tech wants. The Tech has a plan for how to use them. You know, Baron Morton, quarterback from Eastland, one of the top recruited quarterbacks in this class. Uh, Can he be Cliff Kingsbury of this generation? You know, a couple of solid offensive tackle prospects right now. Jack Tucker from Argyle, Jacoby Jackson, a kid from from the Metroplex that uh, they just got who had been committed to TCU. He had about – Mansfield Summit. Mm -hmm. Mansfield Summit. He has about two dozen scholarship offers. You know, the young high school defensive ends that they have in this class. Look, certainly appear to have the frame. Humorian Banks from Wichita Falls Rider, a 6'6 kid listed at 280 now, and and Charles Esters from that, you know, Cedar Hill program, 6'4", 250-pound kid who yeah. took out of a great high school program. So, uh, you know, yeah, if, if this kind of if this class has the same impact as the 1998 class, <laughs> that would be amazing. But I, th- I but I don't think that you uh, just write this should just write off this class because they're ranked number 86 right now. Again, if you look at each of those guys individually. There appears to be a lot of promise there. And again, ranked on uh, average rating, they're the number 32 class in the country and the fourth best class in the Big 12. So, um, what you're saying is look at the offer list. Yeah. And uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I think, yeah, I think you combine that with uh, Texas willingness to, willingness so far and success that they have had in the grad transfer and transfer market. And, you know, because of that, Matt Wells has said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep doing that, uh, continue to keep adding veteran player, veteran juniors and seniors. Um, so if you can add, you know, a dozen good high school players and six or eight solid, uh, or, you know, a half a dozen uh, quality transfers, mm-hmm. you know, you can get the talent back to where you, where you need it to be in a period of, you know, another couple of years. Let's keep in mind, you brought this up too. There are some seniors that may be able to come back that you probably in normal circumstances would have to graduate. So that there may be some holes that you necessarily don't have to fill in, in this weird pandemic time. So I, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah, I was going to say probably quite a few because you have 17 seniors on this class. And since uh, this is a free year for everybody, all 17 of those guys will, can return if they want to. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when the season ends, who among those guys uh, stays and who among them uh, decides to either say grad transfer or pursue uh, to see if they can make it in the NFL. I think I'm out of questions. You got any more questions, Carlos? Uh, I, as soon as you asked that, I took it off. Um, let me see here. This is great podcasting, I know. Um when Columbia came in the last game, the play calling changed drastically, according to Stafford underscore Jaron. Do you think this was because of the change from Bowman and Yo's confidence in Columbia over Bowman or because of the late game situation being down? Will the playbook remain the open 
at the start of this game. I would like to say I, I don't necessarily think the playbook changes much with uh, Henry Columbia minus the fact that maybe there are certain packages that highlight his dual threat ability a little bit more than maybe Alan Pullman would. I think that's probably the best uh, politically correct answer of saying that he adds something different. But uh, I, I certainly do believe that uh, if Texas Tech gets off to a hot start, it's going to help them because that's one thing that they haven't been able to do is get off to a hot start because it seems like once they do uh, somehow get off to a hot start, it seems like everything works out well. It's just they're not able to close, as you mentioned uh, earlier. Well, I don't, if I understand the question correctly, I, I don't think the play calling changed. I think the play calling was the same as it was for – same for Bowman as it was for Columbia. I think it was just – Columbia's uh, Columbia was seeing the field better uh, and was more confident in, in in throwing the ball downfield a little more. I, th- I think that was the frustration with Allen that the coaches communicated was they felt like he was going through his progressions too quickly and was was too um, willing to uh, play it safe and take the check downs to the running backs. Well, on that, I'd say we uh, call the questions over because I think we've been on for an hour like we normally do, even though I did promise you that I was paying attention. So, so let's. Uh, so I guess we'll put a wrap on it, man. We appreciate everybody that uh, weighed in with questions, and thank everybody uh, uh, for uh, for listening each week. Again, Texas Tech uh, one and three, zero and three in the conference takes on uh, West Virginia. West Virginia is three and one, two and one in the Big Twelve. They tee it off four thirty p.m. on Saturday at Jones AT and T Stadium. If you can't be there, it's on ESPN two. Um, so, uh, again, for uh, AJ Media Sports Editor Carl Silva Jr., I'm Don Williams, AJ Media Tech Staff Writer. We thank you for listening. This has been the Red Raiders Podcast. We'll visit with you again next week. <laughs>